I invite you one last time to open the word of the Lord to the Old Testament book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. Today we come to the conclusion of the book and the conclusion of our time together uh, through this wonderful book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Today our text is verse 13 to 22 of Ruth. As you find that, just like to ask that you would stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word, if you are able this morning, Ruth chapter four, beginning in verse 13, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Let us hear together the words of God Almighty, which says this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we ask now that you would speak to us from your word. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would take your word and impress its truth in our hearts and lives. Father, help us to see you as bigger and bigger in our lives. Help our vision and understanding of you to grow ever greater and greater. Lord, you are an amazing God. We praise you for your hand in all of these events that we're studying. Lord, would you help us in our lives, in the present, this very day, to be affected and changed by these events that took place thousands of years ago. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The ultimate story of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prepares the way for Jesus. And the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus. It points to his coming. 
After Jesus's resurrection from the grave, he appeared sort of incognito to two disciples as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And after hearing about Jesus's death and crucifixion on the cross, and as Jesus appeared to them, Jesus said to them on that road, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, on that road, Jesus showed them how the purpose of the Old Testament was to point to him. There is a grand storyline of redemption that runs throughout every single book of the Old Testament, and it points to Jesus Christ. Charles H. Spurgeon said that just as all roads in the UK lead to London, so also all texts in the Bible lead to Christ. Some more directly than others, but they all end up there. And we're going to see this very truth very, very clearly in the passage before us this morning because God, as we're going to see, is working to bring about his will and his plan of redemption. Today, we enter the final scene, we could call it, of this great book, the final act, if you will. The events occurred roughly nine months later than the verses that come before them in chapter four, verses one through 12. When Boaz went to the gate, that day he went to the gate that morning of the city and secured the redemption of Ruth. In the verses before us, we're going to continue to see God's provision and God's sovereign control in the lives of those involved in this account. We're gonna see his provision for Naomi, for Ruth, and even ultimately here in Obed and following in Boaz. We're gonna focus our points around four things that God did for them. Four things we see in this text that God did for Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. So let's begin looking at those. The first thing that we see in verse number 13 is that God gave them a child. God gave them a child. I'm not sure what Boaz said to Ruth and Naomi after he came home that fateful morning from the town gates. It had been a long night at the threshing floor the night before and early in the morning, as you'll recall from the previous verses, Boaz went to the town to take care of business. And after the town elders meeting, I imagine he returned to Ruth and Naomi's house. I wonder what he said when he went back to them. Maybe Ruth was there at that gate. I don't know, the text doesn't say, but he went back to the house in any event Maybe they looked out and saw him coming and maybe they saw him carrying a sandal uh, in his hand and they knew exactly what had happened, that he had purchased land. In any event, the text tells us, so Boaz, as it says there, took 
Ruth. Boaz took Ruth. And just like in verse 11, what that means is Boaz, Boaz took Ruth in marriage. He took her into his house. That's where they came. They came and were married together, the text redundantly says, and she became his wife. And now we see this with Ruth through this whole account, not being described here as the Moabite, but now in her life being the wife of Boaz. From being married to Mahlon, to a widow, to a servant, to a gleaner, and now to the wife of Boaz. The text speaks of their conception. So they're married, and it says, he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So a lot of things are uh, just being thrown together in this verse. The marriage was consummated, and God opened her womb so that she could conceive. Literally, the text says, Yahweh gave her pregnancy. You see, in the Bible, when God is said to open the womb that has been closed, usually something special is going to happen. You'll recall Sarah's womb uh, was likewise closed until God opened, or excuse me, enabled her to become pregnant, giving birth to Isaac. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was barren, but God enabled her to become pregnant. Likewise, Leah and Rachel. And into the New Testament, we see Zechariah, the priest, and Elizabeth, whom God enabled to become pregnant, giving birth to John the Baptist. We see these examples of ladies that were unable to have babies, and then God miraculously opening the womb and doing great things. You see... God had a plan even in Ruth's barrenness and even the barrenness of Orpah and her husband, Ruth's sister-in-law. All the nights of sorrow, of not being able to have a child, God was in control all the while. God was in control and God was bringing about his plan that barrenness, no doubt, was a great difficulty for Ruth. Not able to have a child, especially in the context of the Old Testament. But as we think about this, the, the thing for us to note about this is that God was at work even in the midst while she was not able to have a child. God was working. And God brought about this miraculous gift of a child. And we don't apply this today by saying, just trust God and he will eventually give you what you want, right? If you're struggling with infertility, the application for us today is, is not just, well, trust God and then he will open up your womb and you will be able to have a child. No, the application for us today is trust God even in the midst of infertility, Trust God even in the midst of difficulties and struggles and unmet expectations in our life. The application is us, for us is to realize, listen, God is at work in those struggles. God is up to something. He is at work. The application for us is to trust him in that. Trust God in that. We see that here in her life the difficulties, the trials, the unmet expectations. 
And then God using that, God bringing that about for his purposes and his glory. And so God provided them with a child. Second thing we see here, God gave them a redeemer. Not only just any child, but God gave them a redeemer. Verse 14 to 16, we see this. Verse 14 says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. You know, the interesting thing is, these are the most likely the same group of women from chapter one that welcomed Naomi back. Remember when she came in, she came through the gate and she uh, had returned from Moab and uh, the ladies that were there, they said, could, could this be Naomi? Could, is, this, is this who that this is coming for us? And you remember her response there, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, right? You remember that exchange in chapter one. Once again, they're here speaking with her and now they're praising Yahweh. They're praising God for giving her a redeemer. You see, God has provided for Naomi someone to provide for her and care for her, a redeemer to rescue them Right? Even in a very practical way in their life for Naomi to uh, redeem them, they're not going to lose this inheritance. They're not going to lose this land. There is now offspring and the carrying on of a family name. And so we see God providing for Naomi. And the women ask that his name would be renowned in Israel. They're speaking here of uh, the child to be born, right? He's not, is going to be Obed. They're giving blessings to him. And the women asked that his name would be renowned in Israel, that it would carry on, that his name would continue beyond their generation in the family lineage and the family inheritance. They are speaking here about this child of Ruth and oh, how they spoke better than they knew. Right, as they're saying his name would carry on, that this man's name, Obed, would continue on in generations, that it would be renowned in Israel, that it would be celebrated, that it would be distinguished. And oh, how we see that happening and we'll continue to see that in the rest of this chapter. Verse 15 continues on with the thought, speaking about him, it says, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. The interesting thing here is that as we come to the conclusion, we see in this text how God is providing for Naomi. It's kind of focused upon her saying, here's what God has done for her. We know that Naomi was bitter. She was bitter over the events that God had brought about in her life. But we saw a change, didn't we, in her life in this book in Naomi. As she was softened by God's grace and kindness to her, which was always there, but she began to see it. She began to notice it and observe it. We saw she began to not look out for herself, but she began to look out for others, namely her daughter-in-law Ruth in chapter three. And she's seeking to provide for Ruth a husband. And now God is bringing back blessings upon her. It says the son will be to her a restorer of life. That is this child will be to Naomi, it said a restorer of life. This is saying that Naomi's spirit is going to be revived. She had been changed. I would imagine now truly her name, you could call her Naomi, is pleasant. 
Her hope was renewed. This was an inside of her sort of thing that the text is talking about. It's a restorer of life within her. But also the son will be a nourisher of your old age, literally to sustain your gray hair. She would have someone to look after her. Again, God is just very practically showing his provision and care for Naomi. You will have someone to look after you, someone to care for you. One commentator, Daniel Block, he says in his commentator, uh, commentary, quote, she who had been so concerned about the security of her daughter-in-law is now rewarded in kind. You see, God provides and cares for her. I imagine in Naomi's mind, and we're gonna see this and the plans unfold, she's not necessarily thinking or going to know about King David that's going to come from this lineage. She's just unaware of that because she's living life and looking at things directly in front of her as she is aging and has no one to care for her. And she sees how God provides that for her. God gives her what she needs in a very practical way, while at the same time bringing about his ultimate plan to his ultimate glory. Our God is such an amazing God. Our God is such a provider for those in need. He gives us what we need when we need it. We see that here in these verses. Look at the reason given for this in verse 15. It says, these things are going to be true for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. This is an amazing sort of statement. The love that Ruth had for her mother-in-law, Naomi, will be passed down to her son, and he likewise will love Naomi like Ruth does. The text says, your daughter-in-law who loves you. We've seen that in this book, haven't we? How Ruth has loved her mother-in-law. We've seen it all over these pages. She's loved her mother-in-law, the Moabitess Ruth, through thick and through thin. Even when her mother-in-law was bitter, she is showing love for her. Difficulty of a bitter woman, a mother-in-law showing love for her. She's shown this sort of covenant Faithful love, the same covenant faithful love God shows to us. You see, today in our modern society, we think of love mostly in terms of emotions, right? We think of love most, mostly in terms of feelings, right? Which come and which go. It's a part of it, but uh, praise the Lord, that's not all of it. That's not what the scripture says, right? But in the Bible, love is fundamentally an expression of covenant commitment. Love is seen as keeping your covenant promises. Like when Ruth said to Naomi, your people, my people, your God, my God. She showed love in keeping that promise of Ruth's love seen in looking out for the welfare of others. We see Ruth's love even in providing of going to glean in the field, of putting herself out there, right? 
of saying, well, let me just go to a field, let me glean, let me seek to provide for us. We see Ruth's love in being obedient to Naomi's plan that night at the threshing floor, right? That sketchy kind of plan, and she just, she followed right through with it. We see a beautiful thing in verse 16 in this book that's truly amazing coming from chapter one, where we see the baby placed in Naomi's lap. Look at verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. It's a beautiful thing that we see taking place in this book. There's a connection that we need to make. Many, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, we saw in chapter one, verse number five, there, there's a word that stuck out there and it's the wor word for child. Look at it just very quickly once again. Chapter one of Ruth, verse number five. It says there, and both Mahlon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. But that word there we brought out was child, right? children, the women who was left without her two children. And we saw how, well, that's weird that you would refer to grown men, especially in this day and age, as children. But the author of this book has placed this word at the beginning and placed this word here at the end. And the audience, the original audience would have picked up on this as they were hearers of this book as it was read. The great reversal is what this is pointing to. It had taken place. She had gone from empty to full. God had taken away, but God had also provided. And it was all for his overarching purposes. He had a plan in it all. And what he took away, now he gave back in the form of this child. And it's all according to his plan. And now we see Naomi at this time with a baby in her lap. Ruth is paid the highest compliment in this verse that could be made, I would say. The text says that she is worth more to Naomi, did you catch that, than seven sons. She's worth more to her than seven sons. Now, seven sons would have been something that was a, being seen as being fully blessed, right? To have that many sons, to carry on the inheritance, to carry on the family name. There's a completeness to it in this number. This is just another attestation in this book of Ruth's character of the type of follower of Yahweh that she was. Notice what a blessing faithful followers of Christ are to other people that they are around. Just pause that and consider that of what this text says of speaking here of Ruth from the perspective of Naomi, of what Ruth meant to Naomi, right? She meant the world to her and Ruth loved Naomi. They were together through it all. They remained faithful. You see, I would just submit to you that the best thing you can do for your friendships with others is to be a faithful growing Christian. And what a blessing other faithful followers of Christ are in our lives, right? Can't you just think of that to be true? The other faithful followers of Christ that you know of what a blessing they are. Just think of your friendships in your life. It is those who love Christ the most that love us 
best. And we see this truth in Ruth. And we should strive to see it in our own lives and in our own relationships with others. The best thing that you can do for those around you is to love and worship Christ above all else. That's the best thing you can do. That's, that's the best type of church member you can be. One that seeks to follow after Christ and live in obedience to him. That's, that's the way you can be the best friend to others around you is to love Christ and for that to be expressed in that relationship. That's the best thing for husbands and wives, for those who are married. The absolute best thing you can do for your marriage is to be a faithful, growing Christian. The best thing you can do in your relationship is to follow Christ and love him more than your spouse. That's the greatest thing you can do for your marriage. Love of, all, of God is always seen in being expressed towards love of others. Right, the New Testament has a lot to say about this, doesn't it? About those who say they love God but hate their brother, right? It says, don't even believe those, such a one is a liar. We see a fact here, especially in the book of Ruth, that love of God and worship of God is always seen in an expression towards your interactions towards others. That relationship with God will, with God will necessarily bleed over into your actions towards other people. And we see this in the book that Ruth's devotion to God is primarily expressed in her devotion, her sensitivity, her kindness, her grace towards others. Her devotion to God is seen in her relationships with others. Something we see all throughout this book. It says, uh, continuing on in this verse, verse number 16, that the child, the child was named Obed. Obed means one who serves. Obed is short for the Old Testament name Obadiah, which means servant of Yahweh. And as we're going to see, it's not inconsequential for his name to be short of that form, servant of Yahweh. We'll see that and bring that out in the remaining points. So not only did God give them a child, God gave them a redeemer. God supplied for them a redeemer, which leads us to the third point. God used them to bring about a king. God used them to bring about a king. It's at this point in the narrative that we move beyond the vision and scope of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. What I mean is that God used these people in a way that they would never live to see. Oh, what a blessing it was for them to see a child, to see a child, a son, and oh, what a blessing it was to see the Redeemer in Obed that God had given them. And now we're able to look back on God's history and see how God used that in their lives. It wouldn't be until they died and entered into heaven that they would see and realize what God was doing. I know that we've already read it and you've read it after reading the book, but can you imagine hearing this as a Hebrew in the Old Testament for the first time about this account and about this story and you get to the end and it says, they named him Obed 
and, and probably for these Hebrews, if they knew, knew their Bible, they knew some genealogy, the, the, the things begin to click in their mind of the Obed. The, the, the son's name was Obed. The son's name was Obed. He was the father of Jesse. And they think, Jesse, we know, the father of David. And this is referring to King David. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Again, I know we've read this book. We know that it ends uh, in the coming of King David. We've heard that. I just imagine that would be like somebody coming up and smacking them right across the face as they're reading this to say, you've got to be kidding me. God used this. God used Ruth and Naomi and all of this to bring about King David. Are you, is that what God was up to? Ruth, the Moabitess, been through all of this, had given birth to the grandfather of King David. <laughs> Obed had a son, Jesse. Jesse was a father of King David. You see, this story tells us about how God preserved his people during a very dark time in Israel. And imagine hearing this as, as an Old Testament Hebrew. Uh, imagine hearing this story, trying to put yourself in that place for the first time. I think that they would have thought about this. Oh, I can't believe God worked like that. I can't, I can't believe how God worked and moved like he worked and moved. And I think that this account for them would be like a goad that would be sticking them and prodding them to say, I want to live faithfully for God too. I want to live faithfully for God. Look at how these people followed after him, how God used them. And I think it was an encouragement for them to say, God is amazing. Let me serve him with all that I have and all that I am. What an amazing God who works in such mysterious ways his wonders to perform. God's people here during this time, just remember, be reminded, the book right in front of this is the book of Judges. Right, this horrible time period where everyone was doing what they felt was right. Everyone was believing what they felt to be the truth. And that's a formula for absolute disaster. There's no king in Israel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Yet in the midst of all of that disaster, God was at work through a woman named Naomi and her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. And God would use them to bring about Israel's greatest king, King David. Again, I just submit to you, just think about this for a minute. Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, they never saw that. They never saw that. They saw what was in front of them. They saw Obed and it meant the world to them. And they praised God for Obed and the redeemer that had come into their family and how Obed was going to grow as a child into a man and how Naomi was just so thankful that now she had someone to take care of her in her old age. But they didn't know what God was up to in all of this. They got a partial fulfillment, so to speak. They saw God provide for them, but he ultimately brought them back to the promised land. He, he took care of them in a marvelous way, but they never got to see verse number 17, the end of it. They never got to see that. They didn't get to see that God was using their family to bring about the greatest king in the Old Testament. We need to learn from that. 
We need to learn that even in the midst of hard and difficult circumstances, God is bringing about his plan. Through the grace shown to us in Christ, we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of that plan that God is at work. God is at work always bringing about his plan in ways that we will frankly not see in this life. I came across a reference this week of a quote from a book John Piper had written on Ruth. The book is entitled A Sweet and Bitter Providence. Uh, It's sort of a long quote, but I thought it was just golden and so I wanted to share it uh, with you this morning. I think it's worth hearing. So uh, John Piper, um, retired pastor, he, he wrote this uh, from the book of Ruth on this part. So, uh, let's just, so just listen. I know it's a little bit long, two, two little paragraphs. We'll be able to make it. Listen to what he says. At one level, the message of the book of Ruth is that the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. The life of the godly is not an interstate through Nebraska, but a state road through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. Paul's, praise the Lord. Some beautiful roads there. Back into it. There are rock slides and precipices and dark mists and bears and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backward in order to go forward. But all along this hazardous, twisted road that doesn't let you see very far ahead, there are frequent signs that say to you, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Taken as a whole, the story of Ruth is one of those signs. It was written to give us encouragement and hope that all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They do not lead off a cliff. In all the setbacks of our lives as believers, God is plotting for our joy. I hope, I hope that this is a truth that we take away from this study of Ruth. That all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They're not random. They're not by chance. They're not fate. They're not just happening. They are events overseen by the providence of God Almighty who is in control and who is working out his plan of redemption in this world. The question that simply lies before us and before you is this, will you trust him? Will you trust him in that? Will you give your life to follow him? Will you lose your life, so to speak, for his name's sake? Will you trust that what he says is true? Romans 8 in the New Testament, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Will you find your hope 
will you find your peace not in everything going right and going according to your plan, but will you find your hope and will you find your peace in the God who is over the chaos? Will you trust in him? Let us see at least from the life of Naomi, from the life of Ruth and Boaz, man, God is doing things that we can't observe with our eyes. He gives us blessings, we see those blessings, but God is at work in a grand way. It's not all that there is. The story doesn't end there. Not only did God give them a child, not only did God give them a redeemer, not only did God use them to bring about a king, but fourthly, God used them to bring about the king. Look at verse 18 and following. Now, these were the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Maybe when you read stuff like this in scripture, you, you run right over it. You say, well, there's, there's a bunch of names. I would just submit to you, usually you don't put stuff that's unimportant at the end of the book, right? Hey, it's, let's wrap this up. Hey, let's, here's an unimportant thing. Let's use that to throw it in and then we'll be good. We'll call it done, right? I also submit to you, neither do you say, this is unimportant. Let's begin with it. Let's throw it off in the introduction, get all these names out of the way, and then we can move on to the good stuff that follows, right? Because you know where these names reappear again, don't you? In the New Testament, in that first book of the New Testament, in the first verses of that book of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Matthew, which begins with a genealogy, which again is very important, right? You don't put something important at the beginning or the end. Listen to what it says there. Listen to this list of names. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, ah, Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, sounding very familiar, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. We're in Matthew chapter one by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no way, I don't think, that Ruth, Naomi, or Boaz could ever see that coming. I doubt they saw it there. I don't see how they could see that David, King David was gonna come from this child, this redeemer. I think there's absolutely no way they would see that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one would come from this family, that God was using them all of the events in their life, God was using them to bring about the fulfillment of the covenant promises made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three. 
the one who would crush the head of the serpent. God used them as a part of his plan and purposes to bring about the capital R, Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the application is not if you follow Christ, there's a Redeemer, Jesus, that will come after your family line. No, that's not the point. The point of this is, look, God uses us to bring about his plans. God writes us into his story. Our call is to be faithful, to be obedient, to trust him, even when things before our eyes look like a mess and look like a storm to be calm in our hearts and know God is at work. God's going to use it. I don't have to know the answer to why this happened or this is the case, but I know God is using it. He is my God. He is good. He's over all, and I trust him, and I know he's going to use this for good. In verse 14, the first thing those ladies gathered together to say to Naomi was this, blessed be Yahweh who has not left you this day without a redeemer. The very same thing could be said over us right here, right now, together in this gathering. Blessed be the Lord who has not left us this day without a redeemer. God has provided, he provides for his people. God provides us with the redeemer, Jesus Christ. The redeemer who has come to forgive us, to save us, to die on the cross for us. You see, the story of Ruth is ultimately God's story. It's about him fulfilling his plans and his purposes. He's a covenant keeping God, a faithful God, always faithful to his promises. You can trust him. I'd exhort you, you better trust him, right? You can trust God. God is faithful and God provides for his people. And we see it here in this passage. God provided that little R redeemer in the person of Obed to provide for them. And I would submit to you, God has provided in the past through this story and this account and ultimately Mary, the providing of a redeemer, Jesus the Christ for us. Oh, how grand and how great God's provision is that we can hear about a redeemer named Jesus Christ. And that we can know and see an example of how God is using people and tough circumstances to bring about his plan of redemption and his work. Beautiful thing is that through Christ, we can also be a part of this family. The beautiful thing is, is that through Jesus Christ, we're, we're brought in. We're brought in by the blood of Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we're part of this lineage to bring about Jesus Christ through adoption, through the blood of Christ on our behalf. So it's a truly amazing thing that we can think about these lineage, these lines of bringing about in the people of God that yes, we're in that too through Christ. We're part of the lineage through what he's done for us. Indeed, we can say together, blessed be the Lord. He's not left us without a redeemer. I submit to you, let us trust in him. Let us trust in him that in all the perplexing things of this life, 
I submit to you, run to God, trust in God, don't run away from God. God is at work. He's bringing about his plan. He is ever faithful. He is ever true. He's all powerful. Let us give of ourselves to follow after him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done Thank you for this book of Ruth that shows us that your sovereign good hand is bringing about your plan of redemption and your will and your purposes through all the hairpin turns and troubles of this life. Father, help us to live a life of faith. Help us to believe your promises and help that to be clearer than the nose in front of our eyes. Father, thank you for not leaving us without a redeemer. You sent Christ for us. You're truly amazing. And Father, we thank you. We simply thank you for all that you have done. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.